Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. Excited about this one because this is yet another interesting angle that we have not explored yet that I'm a big fan of. And that's, it's all about money and, and how businesses, construction businesses, earth moving businesses actually operate because we have Mr. Ron Kellish. He's the CFO of Bemis Construction in Denver, Colorado. Ron, how are you doing? Aaron, great to uh, great to be here. Greetings from another beautiful sunny day in Denver, Colorado. Happy to have you. I'm excited to. I've been looking forward to this one. I've been. I was saying us on the last one. I was, I've been trying to figure out unique viewpoints to to bring to the table and to explore. And you're definitely one of them because you're in a very unique position. As we were talking about before this, it's you know you're a CFO, but you wear a lot of different hats within the BMS organization. As you, I, I guess our, our philosophy, and when we will probably be getting into uh, you know, Larry Ames, who started Bemis Construction and, and his whole philosophy, but the thing that has, I, I think, led to led to our success is everybody pitching in and doing what they need to do to get the job, the project done. And, you know, and I'll say by, by that, you, you cross train and you learn every aspect of the business and how, you know, what everybody's demands, strengths and weaknesses are and, and, and able to bring kind of a different, different angle to, and to problems and solutions. So we all try to, we, we don't try to pigeonhole ourselves into saying, I'm, you know, I'm in accounting, I'm in project management, I'm, I, I'm in estimating, because I think once you do that, you start kind of start cutting branches off your tree and you're going to, you're going to end up uh, withering away pretty quickly if you do that. And it makes you guys really lean. It seems like too, like when we went to the office, when we did last May, I was surprised because it, there's not a ton of people making this whole thing run. It's, it's not this huge construction office for this large construction company that you'd expect. Cause I think a lot of people know how to do different jobs. We've certainly have gone into many companies that I would say are relatively smaller than ours, you know, don't do as much. And their, their office, their office staff is, is quite a bit larger than ours. Yeah. So yes, we have, and, and that's kind of, I mean, I, I kind of a testament to, you know, systems that you put in place where you may not need as much redundancy. You may not need as many people in the, in the office. We get paid to move dirt, not necessarily to move paper around. So the more people we have pushing dirt, the more uh, more better we are. Excellent. And so Larry, he started the business in 1995. When did you come into the mix? How early on did you get involved in the business? Was it 95? My it, uh, Larry did start Bemis Construction in 1995. Yeah. As you well know that he was with um, and started Ames Construction and then decided to uh, branch off and start Bemis Construction as soon as the DIA opened up. Um, Larry did all the work, uh, the, you know, kind of constri- with Ames, all the excavation and concrete at DIA for a number of years. And then uh, after uh, the airport opened up, he decided to start Bemis Construction in, uh, in 1995 and in, uh, in, in summer of 95. My my first involvement with Bemis was in 96 when I was newly graduated from college, came out here, went to work for an accounting firm and ended up having Bemis Construction as a client from a tax and audit side. Did that for a couple of years, 
And then I uh, moved out to Chicago and worked with Price Waterhouse Coopers. And absolutely loved Chicago, loved the city, loved the food, loved the sports, loved uh, you know kind of the hustle and bustle of the city, the, the clients that I was working with. To, to this day, I say there's only two people that would have brought us back to Denver, and that was my father-in-law and Larry Ames. And so uh, I met with him in uh, November of 98, and he asked me to come back to uh, move to Denver. And so, uh, and I've been with him ever since then. So full-time with him since uh, actually December of 98. So pretty, not too long after he started the company. And, and for people that don't know Larry, can you explain his management style? Because as the owner of a company, he's not, he's not really the center of attention and he doesn't want it to be like that, which is probably why he needed someone like you to help operate the business. Can you explain how he's run the business? You know, Larry, and I, and I guess this kind of goes to one of the reasons why he was, he, he was a, a select group of people that would have, uh, you know, brought me back, you know, a thousand miles back to Denver because of the management style that he has. I mean, we, we've all spent, or I have certainly in, you know, in college and you, you know, certainly read your books about management styles and how to lead and how to organize and how to be, you know, how to be successful. And, you know, I'm, I'm, man, I'm talking out of turn or I, or I, I don't, I don't know if he's read any of those books, but he certainly could write them. Or I think books, uh, you know, probably written about him because of the way his, his management style is just so focused on like you said, he doesn't want to be a center of attention. So it's, it's, it's a, you know, comes from a, a humble approach yet lead with effectiveness, lead by example. I mean, he's, you know, 70 plus years old and he's still out there in the field. First one, sometimes on the job site and last one off and is just, just passionate about what he does. And I think his passion comes through for his passion for passion for his employees passion for the clients really taking an an active approach to you know meeting meeting the client's needs you know i always you know every, everybody that i've always talked to has always said you know larry's the type of guy that he doesn't need to write things down his word is his word and kind of an older traditional leadership style and it's just it's just a, a fascinating person to watch and that Kind of, and, and that also goes down to his family, his 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 son and his son-in-law, who are actively manage the project, or man manage uh, Bemis Construction, as well as the extended family and you know whatever capacity they're at. It's just a, uh, it's kind of a just a great American story to be, uh, and uh, I'm glad to be part of it with the Ames family. So the and, and Ames is a very legendary name in the construction world because of Ames Construction, which was Larry's father, Dick Ames. Why did he start the business? Did he just want to stay in Denver after DIA? And I know you said DIA, that's that's the Denver International Airport, and that was pretty much the largest earth-moving project in the United States at that time. That was a huge job. Did he just want to stay here? What was What was his rationale behind starting the company, leaving the family business, which was a very large construction company at the time? I think he, what his what motivated him was Ames got to be just to what it is today a a great behemoth type organization. Yeah. And Larry was not 
I guess kind of really, it didn't motivate Larry to be part of this, I guess, you know, giant corporation. Uh, you know, I, he loved it. He loved what they did, but he was looking to probably, you know, settle down with the kids, you know, maybe kind of be in one place for, uh, for a couple of years. And he just wanted to have that experience of starting something new. You know, I, mean, I think all great entrepreneurs, I don't want to say they get bored, but they, they want they want a challenge. And so whether that was acknowledged or that was just kind of part of it, you know, want, wanting to start his his own path in life and wanted to start kind of start something new. You know, his initial thought was to create a company, have at the time just six scrapers, a dozer, a, you know, and a blade and a water wagon. And the, the initial goal was to be able to be able to visit every single job at least once a day and manage it and not necessarily micromanage it, but just be able to have control over kind of every, uh, every job. So I think it was a, you know, you know, certainly a, a, a challenge for him. Uh, it was a, I think it was a great opportunity there to this day, there is still good blood, I guess, between the, uh, between the other entities, there's another entity that's split off. And to this day, we will go and help each other. We'll subcontract with each other. We'll bid against each other and try to outthink everybody. And then at the same time, we'll end up trying to, uh, help and benefit, you know, be benefit an, an Ames company. So that, so that makes it great since, because I know that there's a, certainly a fair share of construction companies or, or any company for that matter, where son, daughter break off, they start their own company and there, you know, there's kind of a lot of animosity between them. And that's kind of testament to the Ames family. There's just not that animosity. They just, they just love moving dirt and, and want to see other people be successful at it. And, and that includes competitors. Uh, so that's, uh, I think the reason why he ended up deciding to uh, jump ship there for uh, a little bit and start, start Bemis. So he buys just a little scraper spread, starts 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 his thing. You're in Chicago. He teaches you. Or he convinces you to come back. What's the company like when when you get there and in the early days? What was it like? Were, were the and you said the intentions weren't really to, to grow. Obviously, it's grown quite a bit beyond a single scraper spread. Or you know, if it is a single scraper spread, it's a lot bigger nowadays than it than it used to be. And you guys move a lot of dirt. What was what were the early days of Bemis like? The early days was awesome because of the, which continues to, to, to this day, but the, you know, the, the passion of Larry, one of the first jobs that we were involved with when I came aboard was a, uh, was a job in, uh, Roxboro, Colorado, which is the, the wind just tends to blow all, all morning long. And you, you tend to have this constant 20, 30, 40 mile an hour, uh, wind gusts. I, you know, I, I recall getting out of a, getting out of a truck and Larry coming up and just, just all just having, just having a great time. So the, so the wind is blowing and you can kind of picture somebody maybe on a, on a beach taking sand. In this case, Larry took, you know, Larry's taking dirt and just sifting it from his hand. And this wind is blowing the dirt kind of sideways. And he puts his cup of coffee sideways dirt is blowing into his, you know, some dirt is blowing into his cup of coffee and he's commenting on how much he just, absolutely loves moving dirt and he'll even drink dirt he you know just excitement it's a, you know it's a, it was a kid in a, in a in a sandbox and and that's what you kind of want you know no matter you know I, we kind of talked about my background is i never really had the 
intention or, you know, working construction for different reasons. I never really, I guess, really thought about it. But when you see somebody who has such a passion and such a great business acumen, even though there's not a, you know, degrees from war and up, uh, you know, up on the um, hallways of the office, you just had something where you could learn so much from somebody like that and, uh, and, and, and be part of something um, really special. Yeah. There's just something about the guy. I don't know. And, and I've tried to put it into words. I've failed miserably, but there's just something about the guy that's so magnetizing and you just want to be around this person who loves what they do so much. I mean, we saw when we saw him out on field in the field, when we visited, we were so excited because we just wanted to watch him do his thing. And there he is out with a grade rod with a borrowed hard hat from the, the front office at the, the GC's you know, job trailer because it was a, a warehouse commercial project checking grade for the excavator operator. And you're just like, wow, this guy really, I mean, he just lives for this because it's all he does. This is where he wants, and he doesn't even have an office in the corporate office is the joke, right? I mean, he doesn't even have a spot in the office. No, he does not. He does not have a, <laughs> he does not have a dedicated office. It's so funny. So, so what, what role you didn't really have any intention of getting involved in construction company. You, you get swept up in this, in this construction company and Larry's story first few years in, what has your role been in building the company? As chief financial officer, obviously the comes with the, uh, you know, the, the financial reporting and everything that kind of goes along with, with that Larry has empowered a lot of people and he empowers his foreman his superintendents, you know, and, and, and the office to really try to make the company what we all want it to be in line with kind of the culture and values that Larry has, Larry has instilled in, in all of us. And so a lot of times, I guess the traditional CFO, the traditional project manager, estimator, foreman, I, th- I think they get pigeonholed into what their role is. And and their uh, you know and their and, and their job duties and Larry in the Bemis way is not necessarily that way. So so needless to say, we're all estimating. We're all trying to work through numbers. We're all trying to figure out better ways of repairing equipment, completing you know completing job, coming up with trying to go you know go in the field and trying to come up with various ways to accomplish what we need to in a uh, in a creative manner which is another you know attribute of Larry of just being so uh, you know so darn creative when it comes to completing a project whether it's issues with with the dirt with the weather with the with a project with traffic uh, you know just able to constantly think outside of the box and and I think the only way that you're able to think outside of the box is certainly is to explore outside of the box or exploit different opportunities that you have to kind of be, become part of part of the project and become part of you know wh- whatever you're looking to do you know with with the company because uh, you know everybody has different backgrounds they bring to it they, they they all have different talents and so 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 my job specifically I, I don't know we you know luckily we're not in the accounting world or I'm not in the accounting world where you have to keep track up to the 10th of an hour about what, you know, I, what we do, but there's, you know, a, a sure, a hell of a lot of work. That's, I would say outside of the normal CFO 
type job duties that make the duties then when you go back and do the financial reporting, understanding and being able to better understand your financial reporting and and the numbers that are involved and 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 what makes the what makes the company tick. So you're able to do your job, quote unquote, your job, the financial reporting, the CFO function of, of what you do better because you understand how the dirt moves in the field, essentially. Exactly, Aaron. And, and make and make decisions knowing knowing how it affects the job, knowing how it affects people, knowing how it affects the, the, the public at large, if it's a matter of being able to complete a job and get a job done in a more timely fashion. I, I think you, as you know, from a financial perspective, a lot, you know, a lot of people decide to, you know, just look at pure numbers and not realize all the intangibles that make a, a company truly succeed. And if you are just looking at and making decisions based on spreadsheets and numbers and 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 pure bottom line, um, you're just becoming you're you're just going to be too short sighted and you know and and make decisions that just aren't necessarily in agreement with the overall culture and values of of the uh, you know of the business. You know, I, I see it in tax too. I was getting a um, you know when I got my master's of uh, taxation, I you see a lot of people trying to run their company and run their finances to, you know, I, I guess they're managing them for, for from a tax liability as opposed to just managing their business and, and end up at the end of the day paying what you need to pay. And so they're making decisions to please other people as opposed to building their model of what makes them, you know, what makes them successful. So that's uh, something that we at Bemis have always, have always harped on of, of uh, making sure everybody does whatever it is that that's needed to get the job done. No, and I've seen that with our own business, like our own accountants or, or lawyers or whoever it may be. They look at it, think at things from their perspective. So the accountant's job is to, to minimize tax burden. But for me as a business owner, it's like, well, it might make sense to pay more taxes here because I'm looking at the bigger picture and this is where we need to go. So yeah, you might be suggesting this, but I'm seeing what we're doing over here. And so I, you know, it doesn't look good to you, but I get why we're doing it. And, and so I've had to sit there and consciously sometimes not take their advice, knowing that they're coming at it from their perspective without seeing that bigger picture. And it's, it's, it's definitely played out. What the money, how does money flow within a construction company? So you move dirt, you pick it up with a scraper, you put it down to the scraper, but how do you guys get paid how quickly do you get paid? Is there problems with you know not getting paid? How does how does the money flow through a construction company, an earth moving company of your guys' size? Well, certainly we, we generally speaking, we are getting we are getting contracts to to move dirt at a, at a cubic yard price. So we'll move X number of cubic yards, uh, X X number of dollars per cubic yard. And and aside from that, there's you know, there's obviously all the factors that we are involved with hauling dirt. Uh, if you have to import, export dirt, certainly if the, you know, the, the pipe, and then you start getting into the, some of the general contractor type projects that we are involved with, either as a subcontractor or a general contractor where there's multiple, multiple trades on the project. So I guess like generally any, uh, any construction company, we are, Submitting monthly pay applications to to the various owners, 
and um, knock on wood, we uh, usually get paid. Um, usually get paid on, on time, and there's always um, there's always those you know contractors or entities that may not uh, may not pay, and so you're you know you always try to mitigate that risk as, as as much as possible. But you always, I mean, the 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 hardest part, you know, I guess kind of a, I'm a with, with, with a construction company always is you know having to purchase your materials, your labor, your fuel basically having to cash flow that. So obviously with any construction company, cash flow is is a is a challenge and being able to maximize that cash flow because most of our operators are not going to want to wait 60 days to get paid for the work that they're doing this week. We you know we got to be paying them. So um it, it is interesting the the construction the contractors, the owners that will string other contractors along not pay them maybe goes to to another point of larry's point is pay your guys pay your pay your contractors pay whoever that you need to pay to keep those relationships uh going strong so in going to the the cash flow point so you guys will mobilize scrapers to a job you'll start moving dirt you'll you'll be buying materials you're burning diesel fuel but you're not paid until they're not paying you up front to go move the dirt. You, you submit monthly applications saying, okay, we've moved X amount of dirts. Now pay us X amount of dollars for those yards moved. And then they might pay you 30, 60 days after you submit that, that application in theory. So that's the gap you're trying to bridge as far as cash flow is concerned. Generally you're at best, you're, you're, you, yes, you're doing it. You're, you're doing what the work that you need to do for 30 days, invoice a client, get paid 30 days after that so you're looking at 60 days of having basically having to cash flow every single project that you have for for the 60 days correct yeah yeah and that's and that's the problem is is you're trying to balance you know use other projects to balance these projects starting and you can't be starting too much at once or there'll be a huge hole in in cash flow and that that's what we've tried to battle as a business too is just cash flow it sucks when you're trying to grow the company because you're paying so much up front. For us, we have to hire all the people to do the work that we haven't done yet, but people need to get paid now. And, and so we've had to figure out how to, uh, to to bridge that gap. But I feel like people in the field misunderstand how earth-moving companies get paid. It's not for a long time after you move the dirt until you actually see any of the money for it, which is it's kind of crazy compared to how other industries do it. Exactly. And, and, and we, there's no way that we would be able to, and I mean, we're obviously, we, we have to be complimentary with our, you know, with our competition. It, nobody's requesting cash up front for, you know, for any type of a site development project. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so you're, you know, you're 30, 30, 60 days. And a lot of people, Aaron, you know, when you're, when you're talking about cash flow issues, a lot of times people maybe who aren't necessarily knowledgeable about cash flow always think that maybe it's a kind of an older company in a in a very slow economic time or recessionary time but generally speaking the cash flow issues the the companies that have the most difficulty with that are those that are growing and those that where their phone is ringing off the hook and they're getting all types of contracts and all types of orders and they just and they need the capital in order to be able to keep everything going so you know so that's always a challenge i mean you, your phone can be ringing off the hook and you could be getting contracts left and right but a, a lot of businesses construction and non-construction companies kind of going under because of the inability to to initially cash flow and eventually get to a butt where you have that buffer of being able to cash flow those projects. 
Yeah, no, that's that's my life in a nutshell right now. What uh, you guys are you guys are really disciplined though when it comes to spending, like your equipment, for example, your equipment program, and and how you guys rebuild machines. And some of your scrapers have like a ridiculous amount of frame hours on them. You guys, you guys are really just using the machines for the job. It's not really about the big and flashy stuff, or you're not really trying to show off or trying to be anything you're not. You kind of have that humble disposition across the company and that really goes into your equipment. It, it's You guys are very thoughtful about how you guys operate your equipment, and it probably yields a lot of great results as far as making money and profitability goes. I have to guess. If new and flashy equipment significantly increased our production out in the field. If you're looking at it from a purely from a cubic yards move per per hour per day or whatever, if, if a new flashy equipment assisted with that, we'd probably have a lot of new and flashy equipment, yeah. uh, but it just doesn't work out that way. So our equipment that does have thousands of hours on it and has a, a frame that's many years older than than any of our cars that were uh, that we're driving, but rebuilding the engines, rebuilding the transmissions, and 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 you know investing in that equipment has certainly given us a uh, you know I think kind of a, a consistency. Anytime you increase the variability of your operations, of, of your people, and in, in, in any respect, you 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 end up sacrificing you know I think growth and you know and, and the bottom line, and so consistency to that point that you were talking about is a, is a big, is, is, is a big key and a big kind of underlying theme of what we like to achieve. Well, and it's not just consistency with equipment. It's consistency. It seems like with the work you guys take on, I mean, it doesn't, you guys really haven't diversified your, your service offerings. You guys move dirt, you move dirt really well. And it seems like that's all you guys do is move dirt. I mean, it, the majority of your fleet is 631 scrapers and D nine dozers to push them through. I mean, that's, that's what you guys do best. And it seems like that's all you guys have stuck with. Exactly. Not, uh, 80% of our equipment is the six thirty ones and six twenty seven scrapers. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much quote unquote hogging dirt. And we also, you know, I guess kind of storm pipe and we have the excavators for, for various earth moving and, and, and utilities operation. But generally speaking, we are, you know, primarily a, just a, um, you know, kind of a dirt moving operation. And the, the really only diversification that I could, that I could point to in the last 25 years would be the adapting to different market needs, different market segments, and being able to be successful at you know, at those endeavors, um, you look at, you know, 2008 and the residential market completely disappeared and which led us to head up to Wyoming, head up to in North Dakota and become contractors with, a um, you know, heavy highway and working with the Department of Transportations and uh, various water resource entities. And then, you know, kind of uh, played up in the Bakken uh, oil fields for a couple of years and then come back here. And, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're back in the kind of the early 2000s phase of the, the residential boom and able to uh, kind of take advantage of that and, and, and move dirt. There's always, a, you know, there's always going to be dirt to be moved, whether it's in a, for the residential or for the, you know, for infrastructure, commercial, you know, what have you. So our, our diversification is being able to go different places and just kind of try to be successful in, in other spheres. So I guess that's, and, and the fun thing is about business in general, there's no right or wrong way to do it. So some people believe in diversifying their, their, 
their offerings so they can function in any market in a specific location, whereas you guys are specialists, so it's hard to beat you guys on moving dirt quickly because you guys are the absolute experts in it. But then when markets change, you need to go adapt to that, and that means sometimes you need to go elsewhere to find the dirt to keep the scrapers fed because they're very hungry and they need a lot of dirt to move every year. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's cool to see how specialized you guys are because there aren't many companies out there that are as specialized as you guys and as focused in just moving large quantities of dirt. It's really, really cool to see. And the projects you guys do are just fantastic. Well, and, and, and we like what we do and we like the service that we're able to provide to our clients. I mean, nothing, nothing makes us happier than hearing certainly from, from clients that we were, they can't believe how quickly we, we move dirt. You know, it's, it it sounds, you know, a lot of times it's not, it's not necessarily a, a sexy, uh, uh, title or whatever that, you know, you're the, you're the world's quickest dirt mover, but that's, that's what we want to do. When you say that's what we're, that's what we're specialized in. And, uh, you know, when you have, clients who for whatever reason have to grab another you know our competitor of ours and they come to us you know three months later and said god that um you you, you guys are just a you know I, I guess kind of the apex of uh of, of dirt moving and you guys are able to get things done I, you know i'll i'll never use xyz company again and, and maybe they say the same thing uh they use us for uh, you know competitors you know I, I remember when we went to north dakota and we built our first road up there back in uh, back in 2014 and uh a uh, gentleman who had been with the North Dakota Department of Transportation, um, he was retiring. So he had been there for, you know, 30, 30 plus years. And our final wrap up meeting uh, said, I wish I could, I wish I could teach everybody up here how to move dirt like you guys do. You know, that was kind of a compliment that we could go to a new area, new, uh, completely new challenges and be the uh, kind of the, the choice contractor for the department. Well, it's not an exciting or sexy title until you're standing in the cut with, three D9s pushing 631s downhill, loading them in a few seconds each, them tearing off to to just go down the hill, drop their load already back up the hill. It's it's a crazy spectacle when you see you guys flat out. And you don't really see that elsewhere in the country. I mean, Denver, there's a lot of dirt to move in Denver for various reasons. And so it's it's some of the best earth moving I've ever seen in the country just because there's so many beautiful cuts and so much dirt to move and you guys do it so quickly. And it also goes to the operators, Aaron, of the pride that of, of they take and able to sculpt sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like an artist with a, you know, with a, you know, making a sculpture, they have pride yeah. and that, and, you know, and, and that, and that starts at the top with Larry pride in what they do and, how much dirt they can move, how close we can get to, get to tolerance, get to grade and look and have it look like a, uh, not tra- having, trying to make it look like a piece of artwork. But uh, when you, when we take some of our drone footage, it just, it's, it's, it's a clean, great look and uh, it's pride from the top down. So going to your people, how uh, you guys, I mean, Larry, from the beginning, it seems like, like you and Larry have really spent a lot of, of time effort and money on taking care of people why why is that so important because I, I mean some of the stuff you guys do for people i've never really seen it at, at construction companies before why why is that so important taking care of people long term it's an it sounds like an obvious question but it's not in this industry 
you know, Aaron, I think some, I, I think some people are just born with it. They want to take care. They know, they know people are leaving their family five to six days a week, coming to work for us for 10, 12 hours a day and doing kind of doing something that we've set out from a contractual relationship with it, with an owner. And there are just people I think who genuinely care about the people that they work with and the people that they're, they're around. And that is, that's part of our, you know, that's part of our culture of being able to have a family. I mean, I mean, the Ames family, we Ames construction, it's a, it's family. And so predicated on a, you know, on a family network and Larry and, you know, our superintendent, Billy and Todd, just kind of, they're an extension of that family. And as much as humanly possible, try to, you know, try to treat everybody like our family and bring them on board and hope that they succeed as, or, or let me put it this way, if they don't succeed, our company is not a success. And so Larry gets it. A lot of people get it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who, you know, who don't get it, but, you know, Larry has been able to keep that dynamic going with, with trying to help, help people. There's a, um, there's an interesting book. If you ever have, um, if you ever get a chance to read it by Charles Riley and Michael Tushman called lead and disrupt. And um, there's a kind of powerful chart in there. It's called this congruence model that basically puts these kind of the four factors of, of a business in kind of their own separate boxes. And the theory is that you need all, you kind of all the boxes to be equal in weight as far as you know, you can't have a strong culture and then have a weak HR department or weak, um, you know, human resources. So from that perspective, no one ever told, you know, no one ever coached Larry on what the congruence model is, um, but somehow figured out that if we're going to have a strong organizational structure, a strong culture and strong key success factors, you know, you can't let that fourth piece, you know, human resources, you can't have that weak because, the, that structure is going to fall like a house of cards and you're not going to be able to sustain it. Can you talk to some of the unique benefits you guys offer your people? I mean, one of, when we talked to Larry, one of the big things was just consistent hours. That's, that's a big thing, especially in this industry is offering people just consistency in their paychecks. And I know that sounds normal to people outside of construction, but especially in seasonal areas like a Denver, Colorado, that's, that's pretty unusual what are what are some of the things you guys do specifically to take care of of your people? Right, and that, you know, and, and that consistency. I mean, I we we kind of talked about earlier about variability. Any anytime you ramp up the variability in any one aspect, something is is likely to uh, is likely to falter. The benefits side, we have had benefits. You know, I guess kind of extremely strong benefits from the very beginning. I mean, in our, in our benefits to speak kind of specifically to, um, to Bemis Construction's benefits. Um, you know, I've been with the company for 22 years and my total out-of-pocket premiums that I've paid personally for myself and my family is $0 in 22 years, um, wow. which is, that, which, which is not usually a lot of people can say Larry has, decided from the very beginning that no employee is going to pay for health insurance premiums for themselves, their, their spouse or their entire family. And it's a, uh, we're talking about a, a, you know, a fabulous plan of a $750 deductible. So 
nothing, uh, I guess nothing makes me happier than, you know, unfortunately we had a, a gentleman who worked for us get a heart attack, was in the hospital for, for a week, talking to him and asking him about the doctors. And he said, yep, I just got a $750 bill and I'm, and I, and I'm done, which is, uh, you know, which is a, a kind of a testament to the plan. And we have great advisors that we have outside of Bemis, obviously, that puts together kind of our benefits package. So, so we have the health insurance plan, dental, vision, life insurance plan, and then, and then a 401k. We're matching dollar for dollar up to 4%. And there is a zero vesting um, schedule on that. So as soon as somebody is eligible for the plan and they start, start having contributions to the plan, they are, uh, you know, they are fully vested. And, uh, and then we also give a dollar per hour to their 401k plan as a, uh, not necessarily a, profit sharing plan, but it's a, an, an extra bonus, you know, the, putting another couple of grand into our, uh, into our employees paychecks. And that's, I think that's the coolest part about it is you guys give people money for the hours they work, regardless of if they're actually putting, deferring anything into their 401k. So they're still saving for retirement, whether they like it or not, thanks to the generosity of the business. And I feel like a lot of business owners, all that, they'd be like, well, I could never do that because we couldn't be competitive spending that much money on people. It seems to have worked out pretty well for you guys and you guys have been doing it since the beginning. So has that just been, you know, if you just make it a matter of fact in your business, you figure out how to make it profitable or what, what's the, the secret there, quote unquote. You know, I, I think Aaron, you're, you're correct that you just, you kind of put it in and you, and you, you you can't be everything to everybody, right? You have to you know you do have to decide where to invest. You can invest in the the flashy business headquarters and the and 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 equipment and and always be chasing the you know the brand new the brand new iron and the brand new you know something. But you know our philosophy has been to kind of chase the the, the good employees and and to take care of the employees. You know, if you look at, you know, there's kind of an interesting graph that shows, I guess, first of all, you know, from a purely from a 401k model of what companies have been doing over the last 20 years. And it's very tempting to follow in the mindset with other companies and to kind of cut back and and say, well, we're not going to match or we're only going to match up to 2% and we're, maybe we're going to put up, you know, a higher vesting schedule on because that's what other companies are doing. Certainly we saw that. We saw a, a, kind of a huge exodus of the kind of the, those companies that had a rich plan in 2008 when we went through the recession of wanting to cut back. You know, if you look at from a health insurance perspective, in 2007, over 50% of companies had a $500 or less deductible from their health insurance plan, you know, 60%. Now that, now that number is down to 9%. So the trend, you know, obviously health insurance costs are, are, are exploding and we can talk about that another time, but all these companies are kind of going in and they're, and they're, and they're putting, they're, they're putting more risk on the employees and to manage their plans and to manage their, you know, their health and their, and their finances. And, we, we try to mitigate risks on our project sites, you know, obviously for, I mean, that, that, that's the name of construction, right? You're always, you're always trying to mitigate risk, you know, whether it's payment, whether it's performance, you know, production. And we are trying to mitigate the risks of employees, one, having a kind of a, having to have a kitchen table talk because 
their operations out of control for them, for their kids, for their families, or and to and to and to mitigate risk for for their 401k and for their retirement. So the package that we give, you know, a lot of people t- will tend to, you know, we're paying them X number of dollars an hour. You know, sometimes they're tempted to go to the X plus one dollar an hour with a competitor and not realize the benefits that we provide to our employees. And, you know, we've looked at a lot of kind of a lot of studies. We look at a lot of data. And if you look at the average out-of-pocket for a medical cost for a family, the cost of health insurance that comes out of a paycheck, what our value is in our 401k over the over the average, which, I mean, it's over $1,000 a year. All those numbers total are, are almost $10,000 a year that go to our employees that they would that they could easily have received and had to write because their their health insurance only covers 80% or the 401k doesn't match. You know, if you put $9,000 away and for, you know, for 20 years, even at a rate of like 6%, I mean, you're, you know, that's, you know, that's over $300,000. And so it's, we're we're talking real money and real value and, and not having somebody have to make tough decisions about, what they're going to do because they they have you know, they have a very difficult financial decision based on uh, from a doctor's visit and we and that's the last thing that we want again we're trying to we're trying to run this like you know like they're our family we we want to help everybody and that's i guess there's there's two points here one it, it pisses me off that companies are shifting more and more risk onto others when they're the ones enjoying in the spoils in the first place it's like I get if you're the one taking the risk, you can enjoy in the spoils. That that makes sense to me. But if you're going to put all the risk on others and then take all the all the profit and the spoils, it 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 drives me nuts. That's that's one and two. My generation sucks at looking at the bigger picture. They just look at and I guess this might just be people in general, but I've noticed it with people my age. They just look at whatever they get paid now. And they don't think about the insurance. They don't think about the retirement. And now, and honestly, I didn't even think about that before I owned a business. And now I'm evaluating insurance programs and retirement programs and this and that. And now I understand how important it is, but everyone just looks at an hourly rate or a salary and, and decides upon a position, a career based on that one data point. When in reality, that does not signify even close to the bigger picture at the end of the day? No question. I, I, I think there's a lot of short-sightedness, uh, whether, whether that's a generational thing or just, I think that's, you know, tends to be, you know, it, it's certainly from a, you know, a younger perspective, right? I'm not, I'm, uh, I, I'm not going to retire for 30 years. I'm not for 30, 40 years. I don't care about that. I'm, I'm healthy. I never go to the, you know, I never go to the doctor. Why, you know, why do I care about that? Then you start saving up. And after 10 years, you've made an extra 10, 20 grand at, at another company. But here comes a, you know, here comes a doctor's visit that puts you, puts you in the hospital and all that money that you just made is, and that you probably, by the way, have not saved up is, is all equalized. And you could, and you could have been, you know, mitigating that risk from, uh, from day one. So hence the reason, Aaron, a lot of people will, in the last 20 years, I've certainly seen a fair share of number of people leave, go to, uh, you know, greener pastures and then come back. And, you know, with the comments of you, you guys are just awesome. How you moved dirt. You guys are just awesome. Love Larry. Love, you know, love the company. Um, you know, I, I, 
I didn't realize until unfortunately this happened to my family, you know, some type of medical emergency of how rich the, the plan was. And that's why we, that's why we have it. I mean, we realize that it's, that it is a benefit, you know, I'm not going to astound you with the, 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 the checks that go out monthly for, you know, for all these expenses, but there it's, you know, it's an investment. It's not just, you know, money being pushed down some uh, rabbit hole. It is, you know, it's investing in the employees and investing in to make them secure in the times that they're the most insecure. If there's, you know, any type of health emergency or when they fortunately have worked for us for a number of years and they're able to uh, go retire and be with their spouse and their kids and their grandkids, that's the, you know, nothing gives me more pleasure and having those exit meetings with those, with with the retirees and seeing a, a sizable wealth that they, that they built up in their, in their plans. And that makes, you know, that makes Larry happy. That makes me happy because, you know, again, their success, you know, we're not successful unless they're successful. Yeah. It's, and it's relieving to me that you guys do all that because I was starting to believe that it just wasn't really possible with how the business is operated in this industry, but it's cool to see what you guys are able to do with, with your people. And it's just, yeah, you guys just do business in a different way that I haven't, I haven't seen before. What, um, I guess kind of wrapping up here, what, what have you learned from, from Larry? What are the lessons you've learned from being around this guy for, for 20 years now? I mean, you've, you, He's still in his, he's in his seventies. He's still out on site every day of the week. This guy just lives and breathes earth moving. Like you explained, what have you, what have you picked up from him over your years? You know, and it's kind of a, you know, then you start getting into universal aspects, whether or not he, you know, it would be interesting whether or not he was moving dirt or whether or not he was, you know, manufacturing uh, manufacturing widgets or or, or, yeah. or doing something else kind of that that passion and that care concern that culture that he wants is is just so important and just and, and, and just you know so many rewards for for himself for for the company you know for so many people you know so you know kind of just that consistency of being able to be best in class at no matter what you do, you know, and this kind of gets to the back, you know, growing up uh, as, you know, a lot of people aren't saying I, I want to move dirt, but there is, you know, there's something to be, to be said about working in a company that's best in class in, in any type of realm, because there's so many, there's so many organizational operational, you know, kind of goals and, and, and challenges that they're, 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 they're all the same, right? I mean, cash flow. I mean, you talk to, you know, if we're talking about restaurants or manufacturing or healthcare, cash flow is, you know, cash flow is an issue. So you tend to have the same problems no matter where you go or the face the same challenges. But when you can kind of wake up every day and say, I'm part of this and my clients love our work, our, my uh, employees love, you know, kind of how we, t- you know, uh, uh, take care of them. That's that, that you know, that's what's going to get you when you're, you know, 80 years old and you're, lying in bed or playing golf and, and saying, you know what, you know, helped a lot of people. Well, Larry, when in, he's in his eighties, he's still going to be running scrapers. I, I it, 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 it wouldn't surprise me. It, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. I don't think retirement's in his picture or, or in his future anytime soon. You know, it, 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 it keeps him going and it's, you know, kind of makes, uh, you know, us all challenge ourselves to say what we're going to do and uh you know what we're going to do in retirement and and you just look to say you know what he's be as productive as you as as you can be 
and uh you know and e even if you're you know even if your scraper days are uh are done whatever you know whatever you can do to uh help keep the success of the company going and uh um uh and able to benefit as as many people and clients as uh as you can because that's that's really what it's all about and one thing I just thought of is, and that's something I've, I've thought a lot about, you don't have any kind of formal background in the construction industry. You get in with Larry, someone who loves dirt. Have you, have you kind of learned the passion for earth moving and developed a passion for this line of work? The more you've done it, the more time you've spent around Larry, the more time you've seen the work play out. Like, can you, is it, I feel like passion is this mystical thing that you're either born with or, or you don't have is is can it be can it be learned in a situation like that around someone else that loves something so much you know maybe get this back to the point i would say yes but you you know whether passion for you know passion for anything you know i you know i love the people that i work with i love the work that we do if by that when you mean when i'm going past a job site or you know driving past a job site that we may have done you know 20 years ago and there is just that kind of like, a, yes, I was part of this and I helped in what, whatever I did. And maybe maybe I didn't get into a scraper and load it up and, and, and move the dirt to it. But being part of it and being able to say, you know what, you know, maybe it's cheesy, but these people can get to their house quicker. But, you know, with the, with these new roads or these people are able to have houses and are able to have a community and, and able to be able to only have a five minute commute to work as opposed to having an hour because there wasn't a big development around them. and so kind of seeing that benefit. Yes, I would say that it's, uh, I've, I've definitely have appreciated the, I guess, kind of the, the whole site excavation, site work projects that, uh, that we've done. You know, looking back, if somebody said, it, you know, would you've changed when Larry, uh, you know, set you down at a village inn and talked to you about coming back 20 plus years ago, you know, would you, you will you stuck in Chicago? And, and the answer to my mind, you know, 100%, absolutely not. I, I, I would not have a change my mind. So I don't know if that's uh, if that's the answer to your question or not. Yeah. Climbing the partner track at PwC is a little bit different than, uh, than doing what you're doing now. That's for damn sure. It's completely different. <laughs> yes. And it was, it's uh, but it's when you work with the people that, you know, it's, it is, it is the people that you work with that make kind of getting up and uh, you know, when that alarm goes off at five or five thirty in the morning uh, motivates you to go in and start the day and, count beans as a, as a, as a CPA or be in the field and count loads with, you know, and, and, and have, you know, come up with a new way of doing something. So, you know, just the, the, the challenges have been uh, pretty remarkable and having somebody like Larry and, and the whole Ames family to have as a, you know, as much as we like to think, you know, we're a support structure for them, they're a support structure for us. And it's kind of a, a mutual, uh, mutual exclusive uh, benefit. It's a, uh, it's a really fun environment. It's just, and it's totally different, like I've said, uh, than any other company I've seen. And I, I, I think I still remember I, I had to write you guys a note the first time I visited because I was just like, I don't know what it is about this place, but there's just something that's different about this company than any other company I've been with. And I think it really is just the the overwhelming humility that everyone has at the company. Like you'd see the foreman for the job, you, you I'd meet with him on a project, and then five minutes later you see the guy with a, a bag of lath on his back, checking grade with an eye level in the, in the cut in the middle of the, with, with 631s tearing past him. It's like, that's the foreman of the job. That's, that's the guy running this thing. And yet there's a the guy in the hole 
checking grade for everybody just because that's what they do. And it's just through the whole company, this humility that Larry's instilled. I mean, Billy, like Billy, he runs a whole lot of, of the company. You'd never know it. Like he doesn't come at you with any kind of entitlement or, or it, there's just nothing there that says, yeah, this guy is pretty important, but he is pretty important. And, and you have, I mean, it just the whole organization is so humble yet you guys are really, really good at what you do at the same time. That's the, the strange thing about it. You guys are really good. And yet you don't act like it in a very good well, way. You know, everybody's somewhat working in unison yet. We all have our, you know, specific duties, specific jobs, you know, but I, you know, in, in college I was a rower and so you have this, you know, obviously you have eight guys in a boat plus, plus a coxswain and all having to move in complete unison and, and you better end up, you know, maximizing your output and help others maximize their output. Otherwise the boat's not going any, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a lot of times when you, you know, start thinking about the, you know, whether it's congruence model, the, you know, the whole aspects of what makes Bemis great. And it's, you know, it is almost like we're all, we're all in this boat together. And if there's, if there's a, you know, one person out of sync, the, the, you know, the, the boat's not going to go as fast as we want it to go. And, uh, and hopefully at the end of the race, everybody, uh, you know, if there's medals to be given out, hopefully everybody in the boat gets a medal. Love it. All right, Ron. Well, I think that's, uh, that's what I got for you. If someone's looking for a job running a, running a scraper, you guys are, are hiring for this upcoming busy season, right? We are always hiring great operators. You and everybody else, but they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, Bemis Construction, they're they're among the best I've seen in the industry. And I say that in a very genuine manner. It's, it's really cool what you guys do. So I'm excited to get back out there, hopefully in a few months and spend some more time with Larry. We want to tell his story in a little bit more intimate of a manner. Just get to know Thank him better. you, Aaron, for for telling our story. Uh, you do a fabulous job. Buildwood does a tremendous job at you know highlighting an industry that you know has not not traditionally been uh, seen on a, you know certainly as social media and, and and other sites the way that you do it. So uh, you know, hats off to you and your organization. Uh, you've certainly helped us a ton. We're uh, excited to be uh, working with you. Try to make you look pretty. Someone's got to do it. So all right. Ron Kellish, Bemis Construction, thank you. And yeah, uh, appreciate it. with that, everybody, I think we're all done here. So thanks for listening to another episode of Dirt Talk. Really appreciate it. Keep sharing. It's been awesome to see how many people are reaching out lately. All the people that, I mean, even people that have not thought about construction before, now choosing to go to school for construction, work for a construction company, whatever it may be because of them listening to the podcast, which is just wild to think that that it's making that big of an impact. So I appreciate you listening, appreciate you sharing, and I'll see everybody on the next episode.